Genesis 16 and I'll read this for us, we'll sing again and then we'll come to look at this wonderful passage in a few moments. Genesis 16 says now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, that is Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Beret. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray again. Father, we would see Jesus. We would see him in your word. We would see him in the gospel. We would see him in the way that you have dealt with those who have gone before us. And oh Lord, we pray that we would not be hindered by dullness of sight or blindness of sin. But instead, Lord, we would see him and in seeing him be transformed into his likeness, beholding the glory of the Lord. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone once said, the only thing that we learn from history is that no one learns from history. And if you were like me, you weren't all that interested in history at school or in school, full stop. But the older you've gotten, the more you've come to learn that learning from the past is an essential key to living in the present. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 will be a favorite passage for some of you that Verse those verses that come on the back of the famous hall of faith in chapter 11 where the examples of the great cloud of witnesses are described. And then the author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is, in view of all who have gone before us, let us like them run the race right now until we fall into the arms of Jesus where we long to be. But bad examples help us too, don't they? Because bad examples tell us how not to do things and how not to do life in the present. Welcome to Genesis chapter 16. The point of Genesis 16 is God's promises are obtained by faith alone. And yet that point is made clear as we watch someone trying to obtain the promises of God by works fueled by doubt. How not to do it. And virtually everything, if you've noticed this in our series in Genesis since we picked it back up following our series last year, has hinged on faith. So when Abraham and Sarah Sarai responded to God's word with faith. God undertook for them and provided. But when they responded to trials of various kinds with doubt and and human wisdom, things began to go awry. We've seen that, haven't we? Remember there was that famine in the land of Canaan, so they journeyed to the land of Egypt. And even though God had promised a nation to come from Abram, Abram tells Sarai to lie. Say You're my sister so that they don't kill me to get me out of the way so Pharaoh can marry you. And then they get kicked out of the land. They come back to the land of Canaan and Abram is trusting God again. And he's believing again. And so he gives Lot the the free choice, the first pick of the land because he believes that somehow, someway, someday the land would belong to his offspring. Then Lot got kidnapped and Abram responded in faith. He rescued him. So where there was obedience fueled by faith, there was eventually a victory. But where there was disobedience fueled by doubt, there was a defeat. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And in Genesis chapter 16, sadly, there is a whole lot of leaning on our own understanding. But we need Genesis 16 in our lives, don't we? Because we too are tempted to lean on our own understanding all the time. There is a a great call today, isn't there, for great faith. That as our nation and as the world seems to increase in rebellion, as the gospel is maligned and as those who love the gospel are spurned and hated, perhaps family members fall in love with the world and then harden their heart towards you. If ever there were a time for faith, it would surely be now. And if there were ever a time to reject our own understanding, surely it would be now. If ever there were a time for us not to be like Sarai, surely it would be now. God's promises are obtained by faith alone. By faith alone. And so tonight I want us to see number one, Sarai's doubt. And then number two, Hagar's faith. Number one, Sarai's doubt. Do look back at Genesis chapter 16 verse 1. Let me read these verses to us again for them to be clear in our mind's eye. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a, a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So what just happened in our Bibles? It sort of leads, reads like a transcript of some very early episode of Jeremy Kyle. Like what is going on? Well, remember in chapter 12, God had promised Abram, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then you fast forward, turn to the right in your Bibles. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northwards and southwards and eastwards and westwards, for for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And then later still, again, a word of promise comes. Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. But here in Genesis chapter 16, no child, no offspring, no nation. And so Sarai takes her cue from culture, not from the word of God. The, The idea of taking the 
Egyptian Hagar and giving her to Abram, it sort of shocks us a bit, doesn't it? It rocks us back on our heels that a wife could suggest something so awful, something like this. And yet, back in this time, it was a perfectly acceptable practice in the godless nations all around. I won't bore you with this right now, but the most technical commentary that I use for our series in Genesis actually quotes four source materials from around 2000 BC that recommend exactly what Sarai is doing now in all sorts of circumstances and for all kinds of situations. And so Sarai thinks, look, for goodness sake, it's been 10 years. We're old. I'm barren. Hagar's young, let's not kid ourselves. If this is going to happen, it's going to happen in the only way in which things like this happen. And so one commentator says, just as Abram gave Sarai to Pharaoh, now Sarai gives Abram to Hagar, the Egyptian. The problem was, God had made the promise to Abram before Hagar was ever around. And needless to say, God was not pleased with Sarai's suggestion. I wonder if any of you actually caught an echo, a ring in your ears of verses that we looked at last year to the left in our Bibles. Listen, let me put them alongside for us. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, and Adam listened to the voice of his wife Eve. Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband. Eve took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. Here's the point. God is to be trusted no matter how things look. God is to be trusted no matter how things look. You know, when you were first convicted of your sin in the sight of a holy God, and you realize that for your whole life long, you have been living with your back turned to the majesty of God, and that both of your hands had been over your ears, and you had been suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, and you had suppressed, and you had ignored God's law and transgressed His standards, and then you heard the gospel, the thought came into your mind, so wait, what you're saying is, the God against whom I have sinned, the God against whom I have turned my back, took on skin, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, and took the punishment that I so richly deserve for my many sins, so that simply by believing in him, the gates of heaven would be open to me, God would no longer be against me, the law of God would no longer condemn me, and the burden of sin would no longer weigh on me. By faith alone, you cannot be serious." How can this be real? Surely God needs to see some good in me first. Surely he needs to see me make some amends first. And some evidence of change. But no friends. God's promises are obtained by faith alone. Empty hands. Empty hearts. By faith Alone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Humanly speaking, that looks and sounds ridiculous. But it looks and sounds about as ridiculous as two very elderly people having a baby together. And yet, 
dot, dot, dot. But what about now as believers? That was us before we got saved. But what about right now? Well, friends, think about this. God has promised all manner of good things to us, hasn't he? He said, I'll provide for you. And all of your needs I will supply. But then there comes that unjust business practice at work. And you think, well, if I just cut this tiny little corner, no one's going to know. Everyone's doing it. And my boss will think highly of me. Maybe I'll get a pay rise, even a, a promotion. But that is not how God's promises are obtained. Not through shortcuts. Not via sin. By faith and faith Alone, Someone said this, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. What about when the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? He was offering Christ the crown without the cross. That would have been more convenient, wouldn't it? Far more convenient, just as throwing Hagar at Abram would have been all the more convenient. But where would that have left us? Well, it would have left us without the promises of God to obtain by faith and by faith alone, without salvation, without cleansing, without heaven, without God. And again, God is always to be trusted, no matter how things look. You remember a few weeks in our series in Genesis, I told us to fill the gap with the right thing. And you remember what I meant by that? There is always this gap, isn't there? There's a chasm in between what God has promised us And what our eyes can see. And the call in our lives is to fill the gap with obedience fueled by faith. Not by disobedience fueled by doubt. Not pragmatism, but faith. God's promises are obtained by faith alone. And second, I want us to see Hagar's faith. The contrasting Example, look again back at verse 7 of Genesis 16. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called The name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And so in the most unlikely of times and in the most unlikely of circumstances, Hagar meets God. I know this might sound a little bit unusual to some of us, but when we read the angel of the Lord, 
in Scripture. It's a reference to one who not only represents God, it's a reference to the one who is in himself a representation of God, as someone put it. In other words, Hagar is speaking with Jesus Christ. And what was Hagar's response to Jesus Christ? It was obedience fueled by faith. Faith without works is dead. So whereas Sarai heard God's word and responded with works fueled by doubt, Hagar heard God's word and responded with obedience fueled with faith. And the angel of the Lord commands her in verse 9 to return to Sarai and submit to her and she did. That was obedience fueled by faith. And when the angel of the Lord promised Hagar a son and commanded that she would call his name Ishmael, which means God hears, she did. That was obedience fueled by faith. And Abram called him Ishmael because Hagar obviously relayed this moment to him. She believed the meaning behind the name Ishmael, God hears. And she came to encounter the one, the meaning behind Beer Lahiroi, the well of the living one who sees me. He sees my tears. He sees my broken heart. He sees my rejection. And he hears me. And I trust him. That's my God, she says. And she lives like it. Putting one step in front of the other. Friends, here's what I want us to See tonight, God has purposes for outsiders when outsiders trust and obey. God has purposes for outsiders when outsiders trust and obey. Hagar was an outsider. She was a a rejected Egyptian slave. And if you map out her journey here, we read of sure and sure on the way from Canaan, it's clear that she's going back to her native land of, of Egypt. But then she gets a visit from the Son of God that turns her around. Why? Because he revealed his gracious purposes to her and she believed them. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thought about a passage reminded us of one to the left in our Bibles, but does this passage remind us of one to the right in our Bibles? We read Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And that's really significant, isn't it? Because the sixth hour is midday. No one would come to draw water at midday, it was way too hot. She would come when no one could see her. She didn't want to deal with people looking down on her and sniggering and laughing and looking down their nose at her. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, an outsider like Hagar? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. 
Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. Welling up to eternal life. Beer lachai roi. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And maybe you feel tonight like you could not come to him because you can't really see yourself fitting in among those who have already come to him. Your interests, your background, your hobbies, your passions are so different. They don't really resemble the things that resemble the people that surround you right now, even as we gather here tonight in this very place. But my friend, can I say this? If you know Jesus, then you will fit right into the very center of his people because you will stand in the very center of all of his promises And not one will escape you. And not one will fall to the ground. But they will all belong to you. You must simply trust. Do you remember me telling you just a few weeks ago about the time I heard the preacher Richard Buse in London. I heard him speak only a few years before he passed away. And he was such a fan of tennis, wasn't he? And he was saying that he knew someone that was very high up in Wimbledon. And one day he got a phone call from this friend. And he said, do you want to come and tour Wimbledon where no one else will be around? And he said, I'd love to. And, and they were able to stand right in the middle of center court, right on the grass when no one else was there. He was able to stand where he would never be able to stand if it weren't for the fact that he knew 
a man. He knew a man. And he could stand in the center of all that so many and so many people would covet and be jealous of simply because he knew a man. And if you will know this Jesus, the Jesus who Hagar saw, the Jesus who the woman at the well saw, then you too will be able to stand right in the center of all of God's purposes for you and all of his promises toward you because they are obtained by faith and faith alone. Not faith plus ethnicity, not faith plus church attendance, not faith plus background, not faith plus knowledge, not faith plus a working understanding of church history. Faith plus nothing equals everything. Because you remember it's not the quality of your faith that counts. Rather, it is the object of your faith that counts. God's promises are obtained by faith alone. And aren't we so glad that is true? Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. Amen.